Hey listeners, this is Peyton Guthrie, one of the hosts of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. Uh, Before we get started on the main episode, we are doing a mailback episode to cap off 2023. So send us any and all questions you may have about the calendar year 2023, and we'll get them answered as best we can. Please send us an email over at keyholesports at gmail.com for the mailback episode. All right, guys, now on to the show. Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie. We are joining today with a midweek podcast, usually on Tuesday, doing it on Wednesday because of National Signing Day, and Oklahoma gets all 28 of its commits in the bag before, I believe, noon in God's time zone. Uh, A nice, easy day for, for Oklahoma fans. But that being said, that's not going to stop myself and Brady, who's the only one we could drag onto the show this time uh, to talk about this recruiting class, uh, from talking about it. Brady, how you doing, man? I know you've kind of mentioned some uh, so ho- some ho humness about the class, but before we jump into all that stuff, how you doing personally? You doing okay? You, are you doing in the classes? Doing doing well. Um, winter break for uh, work at OU, so um, I'm enjoying wearing the same hoodie that i put on this morning and it's you know 6 30 right now at night so it's uh it's, it's pretty good need a need a little bit of rest in r&r especially right now i mean we're about an hour and a half until tip off against north carolina so uh let's have some uh, sooner magic later on tonight yeah yeah is that on espn it is on espn proper yes i thought it was on espn too but it's on uh, espn uno it's got to be the North Carolina uh, team draw name on that. Yeah, I mean, does North Carolina get 11 a.m. tip-offs? No. Well, maybe. I don't know. But, well, that's a different reason. They weren't the prime time, the quote-unquote prime time of that. Yeah, well, they they all signed the same contract, I'm sure. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, let's jump into it. Oklahoma finishes, currently finishes on the first national signing day, uh, sitting at Eighth overall, according to 24-7. I know some other places have them nine. Someone has a little bit higher, but I personally like to go on 24-7. Having them at eight, 28 commits, saying that 276 points total. Uh, I'll probably do like a little written breakdown, kind of breaking down uh, all of the, uh, all three of Brent's classes. But another top 10 finish uh, in a class where, I don't know, I would say this is a pretty solid college football foundational building class that is kind of missing out on you know if 
is much, much wider under the bridge and is now a team that all OU fans hate uh, to with a religious fervor. Uh, if OU could have gotten uh, Williams uh, Nawari, um, who committed to Missouri, Oklahoma obviously would have been in the top five at that point in time and would have had two, the uh, one and two top um, defensive line commits. Instead, Oklahoma's going to have to settle for just the best defensive line uh, uh, recruiting class uh, this cycle instead of the very best. Uh, what jumps off the page for you for this eighth rated class for Brent Venables now in his third, uh, his second full cycle, but third overall? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's just this is the beginning of what should over, like lead to the overall correction of the defense um, for the University of Oklahoma because um, no matter no matter when OU, um, whether they were coached by Bob or Lincoln or now Brent Venables, whomever wanted to like address how bad the defense got, whenever that decision would would have been made, and of course in our timeline it was made two years ago in Brent in Brent Venables' first off season, but if it would have been made under Bob, if it had been made under Lincoln, it was going to take two or three years to basically course correct because you are recruiting an uphill battle of not only playing in the big 12, which doesn't produce a lot of NFL talent, um, but, Oh, you don't play defense. And if you're trying to get to the NFL, you don't want to get cooked on a week to week basis. So why would you want to go to OU? Um, it's not like they're developing anybody. And, you know, even with that said, Oh, you still put out some um, defensive talent into the NFL, but it's always, you know, anything but ballyhooed talent that ends up just being like, no, that guy was just flat out good. He just didn't get to show it off at OU. So, you know, a two or three year kind of transition of trying to convince kids that we're serious this time about the defense, um, trying to also at the same time develop the guys that you have on the roster, trying to make them uh, better players, uh, trying to bring back some hype, some prestige to uh, that side of the football for OU. And for Brent, he's pretty much been doing that. I mean, the, the, his first two recruiting classes, um, given all, you know, like with all the factors of him, like when he took the job initially, um, coupled with the play on the field, you know, year one was a, was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. uh, but year two showed the progress that we all needed to see. And that's even with kind of the defensive downturn over the last four or five games. And, and mainly it's it was just the last, I mean, three out of the last four games, um, Kansas had some bad moments. OSU had really very few bad moments. It was a pretty good defensive performance. But overall, you're kind of left with, okay, it seems like if you're a recruit and you're on the defensive side of the ball, what Brent Venables is telling you is probably holding some water. So you can look at it from the standpoint of, well, okay, OU's going to the SEC, so check mark. Um, Brent Venables is a good defensive coach, check mark. Um, OU does seem to be getting better on defense, that's a check mark. Uh, oh, I could go to OU and start early, probably more so than if I went to a Georgia and Alabama or somewhere else. Um, so OU has some advantages now, finally. So now the hope is, you know, guys like David Stone, guys like Nigel Smith, um, Jaden Jackson. Um, Wyatt Gilmore, uh, James Ness, like these guys, like obviously day one, year one, you want them to be badass, especially in year one in the SEC. I mean, we thank the world of PJ at a barway and he played well. He played a lot, um, probably not as much as we would want, but he played enough that 
you know, it gave us the impression, okay, this kid's super talented. He's still just very raw, but he didn't really produce a lot of cool raw stats to make you like point to and say, yeah, he's going to be a stud, you know, next year. We just know that he is because of his frame and how much he played as a freshman. Um, So as much as we want these new recruits, these incoming freshmen to be awesome day one, year one, it's going to be asking a lot, but you know, three or four years from now, if everything kind of goes according to plan and more, more of these guys hit than, than don't, we're going to look back at this class and say, okay, like OU's defense was saved a few years prior, but this was kind of like the, the signal of things to come this class. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's what you mentioned is a narrative changing class at this point in time, because the, the, the big moment you have here and excuse me, I'm trying to do some math here on the side, is that you get Stone, you get um, uh, Nigel Smith the second, you get Jaden Jackson, you get Danny. You know, Wyatt, I'm assuming he'll be good as well, but he's just not one of the guys who are really popping off. Obviously, the two of the defensive linemen who are really popping off, at least on social media, with David Stone and Danny from the, from the Tulsa area. Um, but you have five defensive linemen. All five of these guys... I mean, it should be contributors. Like I, I've done, I've kind of broken down recruiting classes before saying, yeah, this guy should be a rotational guy. This is a depth piece or something like that. You look at all five of these guys and you think all of these should be able to be at least at the very worst, two deep guys. And that it's, it's something that you're always wanting. You don't want to, obviously you don't want to recruit just, you know, empty calories, but this is truly something where you think like David Stone potentially could be a two, a two deep guy year one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jaden Jackson could potentially be a two deep guy year one. Now, Nacho Smith, the second, and Wyatt and Danny, I'm not for sure if they kind of break it in that in that top two immediately off the bat. Especially Danny's got to put some weight on, in my personal opinion. Uh, but this just shows you that Oklahoma is saying, hey, we are building out the correct way. Um, Oklahoma has <clears throat> five defensive linemen they're bringing in, five offensive linemen. Uh, those are the two, the heaviest two position classes, uh, position groups beyond defensive back, which is bringing in seven, which with how Brent Venables plays, you got to have, you know, a decent amount of safeties and, and corners and, you know, these uh, cheetah positions kind of coming in because yes, Michael Bogg uh, out of the Kansas area could be considered a d- defensive back, but from my understanding, he's mainly going to play a safety slash cheetah type of position. Uh, so you, you, that also gets kind of tossed in there. James Nesta as well, kind of in that cheetah position, I guess, kind of as well, but he's the, the lone linebacker of the class. Uh, to me, that's the part where I really look at this and go, oh, wow, this isn't kind of like how teams have been built in the past. And we'll bring it up again because we're going to do some comparison. I'm sorry, fans, for listening to this. It, it just, it, it's just going to be this way until the guy out west, Lincoln Riley, finally falls on his face. But I remember multiple you know, uh, Bill Biedenboe classes under Lincoln only having like three linemen or two linemen, you know, he's able to get five uh, and all pretty good. You know, EPL should be a decent replacement for Caden Green. Now you're not expecting him to start straight away. Uh, you know, you get a giant, huge body framed guy like Daniel, isn't it? <laughs> you know, coming from across the pond, uh, you know, going to help out, you know, from that future NFL draft type of position there. And then also just kind of getting bodies from that position. This is something you're seeing Oklahoma building itself up from the lines and then going out 
which just obviously wasn't the case under Lincoln Riley. And then and really got us at Oklahoma in the position they were in once he left of saying, oh, crap, we're kind of fucked when it comes to, you know, getting pushed around and stuff. And then, you know, Brent Venable has to hold all those losses on his shoulders uh, when really you should look at the, the roster makeup at that point in time. But just based on, you know, what this class has to offer, what, what's the, like the, the position grouping that you're, you're maybe most excited about seeing? I'm, I think I have a sneaking suspicion which one you'll say, but what's your favorite position group out of this that you've seen from this class? I mean, it's got to be defensive line and it has to be like, I mean, outside of just David Stone, who's, you know, the, the best recruit in this class. I mean, does Danny Okoye have the highest like legend potential? Because I think David Stone, yeah. like David Stone gives me the impression that this is going to be at the very least, like you mentioned, like a, a two deep guy year one. And that would probably give me the impression that he's pro- like at the very least, if he's a bust, he's solid. You know, he's a uh, he's an Isaiah Coe. He's a guy mm-hmm. that if he has the chance to not play the next season, you would prefer he come back. But at the same time, Isaiah Coe is not going to be a player that people remember 10, 15 years from now. Um, but, you know, if if that's if that's the case, you know, obviously I would I would prefer David to be like an All-American like we're hoping that he can be. Uh, but it, that, that seems to be like a higher floor. Danny Okoye has this. He's got this air around him that well, I mean, when Brent talked about him earlier today about like he, he mentioned how intelligent he is and how much of a football um, savvy IQ player he is and couple that with his freakish athleticism. Um, that that has the makings for something pretty cool, pretty special. And then, of course, you marry that with Brent Venables and his ever-evolving scheme of how to like use players that are kind of unicorns. Like, I, I mean, I don't know from a you, – you'd probably know this better than me, Peyton, like from a size standpoint, measurement standpoint. But just based on what I've read and seen like highlights here and there of Danny Okoye, it seems like that that's the player – like when you're talking about Jane Jackson, Nigel Smith – um, David Stone, that's the guy that if they all hit and they hit like in the best case scenario, Koye might be the best one. And so when that, when that guy's kind of buried in the middle of your recruiting class, that kind of speaks to the level of, um, scouting and, uh, talent identification that this staff has kind of put out there. And of course it may, it was much easier made by the fact that he is a local kid from, uh, Tulsa Noah. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy. Uh, I'm just going to mirror that. Yeah, that's. I think it was an easy softball question. Defensive line is the. If you're an Oklahoma fan, is the class you're excited about. Maybe there's players somewhere else you can be excited about down the road. But OU being able to pull in five defensive linemen, um, you know, three of them actually, four of them extremely widely acclaimed. I'm just not up to for, up to speed on Wyatt Gilmore as much as the others. But you know, you've got guys who people wanted big time guys wanted and you're getting some freakish guys that remind me of you know like Danny Okoye reminds me of a guy LSU would get you know what I'm saying like long lanky super explosive guys they can put on the edge you know stuff like that where Oklahoma now is getting guys like that I mean Oklahoma in the past you know who, who's the best pass rusher in on the de- on the defensive line in in recent memory for Oklahoma is it like is it Perkins, Ronnie Perkins? It's, I mean, it would have been Ronnie Perkins had he not been suspended and had uh, his final season be a COVID year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got, it's either going to be him, uh, Nick Benito kind of flashed, but 
Grinch wanted to use him as a safety. Uh, and then I, you got to go back to, um, oh, oh, what was his name? Okoronkwo. Yeah. Got to go back to yeah. him. But I mean, he's, he's, he's completely shadowed by the fact that he played on a bad defense, but he was, he was a player that, you know, him and Steven Parker, like those guys could, could play on a Brent Venables defense and they would fit like, okay, that's, that's the level of talent that we want. Like, so it was just a shame that he was on a bad defense. And so the point I was trying to get across there is most of those guys are stockier kind of dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I mean, remembering up Ronnie Perkins is measurables, six, three, two fifty three. You know, that, that's the, that was the prototypical edge guy that uh university of Oklahoma was employing to be productive. You know, you had Eric Stryker, obviously on the way, way smaller side, but Oklahoma wasn't pulling in guys, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that were just long, lanky, you know, physical freak guys. Now, last year they bring in PJ and that kind of flips, flips everything. But Danny already just as a freshman, as a high school senior is already 6'4", 241. So he's already, you know, and this, this 6'3", 253 stat meeting for Ronnie is from his NFL, <laughs> you know, he's as the Broncos events have been. So you're getting guys who are already the correct size to play immediately. That's just the difference OU has. Like, OU used to have to get guys and then the best way I'm trying to think about this, imagine if Iowa State were a blue blood. That's kind of where OU was for a while. It would what a terrible... be a defensive player who was going to be good, but they would need two years development, you know? Yeah. Now OU's yeah. getting guys like a blue blood should get, which is this guy could start day one, but he's not going to because we have other guys who also could have started day one. And they're going to have to throw him into the pit and fight and figure out which one's going to start. You know, that that's where OU is getting to. That's the thing that's very, very important if you're an Oklahoma fan uh, of this program of now being able to know, oh, David Stone, you know, two years ago, David Stone is your day one starter because he has to be your day one starter. Yeah. Now, if he walks out onto the field, you can think, oh, he beat out some senior, he beat out guys. Maybe not superstar guys or something as at this point in time, but you can sit there and confidently say, oh, he must be good, good. Instead of how, you know, Bob Soups and Mike Soups would be, you know, bringing out the corner of the week. Let's get this, you know, freshman corner, toss him out there. And he gets <laughs> burned in one game and his, you know, his entire career is broken after that because they had no one else. Yeah. Th that's the difference in the depth that's being built in the defensive line now. Um, th that's very, very interesting. And we saw it on the, um, in, in the linebacker room this year, being able to rotate. Obviously, there was some pretty heavy drop off after Danny, but the, those other guys were all pretty much at the same level, which was solid. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I don't know if you listened to the latest solid verbal they had, what's his name? Brandon Huffman on. Mm -hmm. All right. And he was talking about, you know, just kind of like recruiting and portal kind of headlines um, all over the country. Uh, coincident, like, I mean, curiously, they didn't talk about Caden Green once, which is shocking because it was a bad thing that happened to OU. And usually solid verbal will jump all over that. Yeah, but, but it's just a guard. I think at the end of the day, I know, but OU's dead, Peyton. OU's the next <laughs> Nebraska. They suck. That's true. That's true. Any, anywho, speaking of Nebraska, uh, they brought up the QB flip from uh, Georgia uh, that went to Nebraska, whose name I can't remember. He's a five-star, but he wrote a poem. Mm -hmm. um, I did not know this until I listened to that podcast. Like, here's a little tangent, I guess. Did not know this until I listened to that particular episode. I did not know that that quarterback was the son of a former 
former Nebraska player, and uh, his uncle is also a former Nebraska player, which makes that flip go, oh, that's not as earth-shatteringly weird as I initially thought when I just see five-star decommits from Georgia and goes to Nebraska. Okay, there was a path there. Yes, and, yeah. And, and look, I, I've, we've already mentioned like guys like Danny Okoye, um, they're from, he's from Oklahoma next year is going to be a very good, uh, recruiting class for the state of Oklahoma into OU. So, you know, sometimes you get lucky, Nebraska got lucky, but, uh, Brandon was mentioning how Matt rule doesn't have the luxury of time, uh, considering Nebraska's woeful last decade, considering how bad they've been at quarterback the last handful of years, that dude's going to have to start day one. And I mean, Brandon was under the impression that, uh, this kid, I don't know if he's like ready, like a ready prospect day one, but he's going to have to be because Nebraska doesn't have the luxury of time. So now switch this over to OU. The importance of uh, Jacob Lacey and um, uh, De- Dejon Terry coming back was just made like it's it's much more significant now when you add yeah. David Stone, Nigel Smith into the fold because, like you had mentioned three or four years ago, these guys have to start no matter if they are physically or mentally ready or not. It's like they, they are just going to have to, and it is a trial by fire. And now of course you have the advantage three or four years ago, you're doing it in the big 12. So, you know, they, they, they might've kicked ass for all we know, but in the sec, eh, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher battle, but you're not expecting these guys to come in and be day one impact guys. That would be great if they are. And some of these guys might have the potential to do that. But I mean, Brent Venables, this defense, they have the luxury of time, at least a little bit. Um, it, Cause it, it never fails. Like even very talented freshmen, I mean, anything South of an Adrian Peterson, you know, you, you might have a freshman player that, explodes onto the scene for four or five or six games and then they hit that wall and i would imagine d-line in the sec for a true freshman if much is asked of you if your responsibility level is super high um which hopefully ou is healthy and it's not for like a david stone or a nigel smith but game six seven or eight it's going to be tough for an 18 year old 19 year old to keep that up so oh you've got a little bit of luxury of time and uh good on brent venables for, for uh convincing dijon and uh, jacob lacy for returning because that's gonna it's gonna pay dividends i think next season yeah that that's that that the recruiting class needs to be seen it from that perspective as well who are you bringing in and who did you get to return you know that that needs to be something you add on to it uh it's it's very helpful. Uh, the class ends up being, as of this point in time, a 67% uh, blue chip ratio. Uh, it's a little bit under what Oklahoma is uh, historically. Uh, Oklahoma, I mean, not historically, I think last year as a full Oklahoma sitting at 70% uh, BCR. This may bring that down a little bit. That said, Oklahoma is bringing in transfers. They're also losing guys. So uh, that may still hover around the, um, the, the, that 70% BCR uh, blue chip ratio point. 17 of these 28 will be early enrollees. Uh, fantastic for the program to kind of get these guys in, especially for somebody like the tight end, Devin Mitchell, who um, is reclassified and then not only reclassified, will be in here a half year early. Uh, that's wild to me because he's going to be so young doing that. But I guess if you're going to reclassify, you need to hope he's going to be an early enrollee so that he can get that body matured as quickly as possible with that strength and conditioning stuff. I mean, 
let's look at some of these skill guys. Is anyone from the skill group from this offensive side really kind of tickling tickling your fancy to a certain degree, or is it truly just this is some pretty ho hum normal stuff? These are guys we're going to be playing with, but you don't see somebody who's going to make you think, "Hey, this is a superstar in waiting." I mean, you and I were talking about it before we went on air, but it's really interesting to me. I'll say interesting. I was about to say mm-hmm. odd, but I d- I don't want to come off as I'm not really big on Taylor Tatum. It's interesting to me that you get the number one running back in the country and he's not a consensus five star. And I I know it's 2023, 2024, and it's all about quarterbacks and receivers. It maybe that's the old school in me. Um, number one running back in the country equal sign five star to me. Um, but then you then you look at the measurables. Okay, five ten and a half. I'm five eleven. So yeah, not not exactly the type of size that you want for a prototypical you know, hand the ball off between the tackles running back. Not that that's how the game is played anymore. Um, at the same time, whenever people talk about Taylor Tatum, they, they come, they, I come away with this idea that, all right, whoever just described him gave me the impression that they believe that he's going to be awesome. Basically day one. Um, OU's running back room is it's weird. You know, they bring in the what was his name? Sam Frank or Samuel Franklin from UT Martin, who um kind of looks like a Tawie Walker replacement if Tawie does decide to stay in the portal and go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, if Tawie Walker comes back, then that makes it even that makes that room even more weird. Uh Gavin Sawchuck seemed to um come onto the scene in the way that we assumed he would day um day one of this season. Um, but as excited as I am for Gavin Sawchuck. I need to see it after an off season and then day one, game one, game two, game three, for me to like actually say, this is Gavin Sawchuk's like team for um, as RB one. Um, so as crowded as it's going to be uh, running back room, right? Wise. I mean, Taylor Tatum's going to have his, he's going to have his opportunities, but I mean, I, I don't know because when I watch his highlights, I don't really see like, what everybody else is seeing. And again, I'm, I'm not a scout. I don't pretend to be a scout, uh, but I mean, I, I grew up watching Adrian Peterson highlight videos from high school when I was 13 and 14. <laughs> so uh, not that I expect Taylor Tatum to be that type of player, but um, he kind of looks like when he, when Tatum gets into the open field, he looks like he has about the same speed that Gavin Sawchuck does. And that's probably wrong. Cause I know Sawchuck had the um, kind of the, reputation of being a burner coming out of um, Colorado high school football. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got like Sawchuk has enough game, like game breaking speed. If he gets in the open field, he can kind of take um take off um, and not get caught up on. Uh, but he doesn't have like that elite legendary speed. And Tatum is kind of in that same vein, but Tatum seems to have a little bit more versatility to his game. And it's probably due to the fact that he's a little bit more, um, smaller, a little bit more agile than a Gavin Sawchuck. So I'm excited about him. I mean, we, we all know that, you know, Devon Mitchell, you know, he possesses a lot of, a lot of skills that people can get easily excited about. And especially with, with the tight end um, position being in kind of the disaster um, pit that it's been in, like he's going to have a lot of opportunity as a, as a 17 or 18 year old. That's so odd. Uh, but really, um, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what they do with Xavier Robinson. Yeah, six, yeah. six, six, two, two twenty. 
I don't think he's going to be a running back. Whatever they figure out with him, that's going to be interesting because he is just, that's a football player. And I, I just want to see that type of guy running in the sec, whether it be as a, I mean, I don't know, as an H back or just like weird formations where you do hand the ball off to him because it's like, Oh, it's the fourth quarter and the defense is tired. Let's hand it off to this guy. I don't know, but um, this will be, I don't mean to tangent off of this Peyton, but I just, I just wanted to ask you a question because I don't think we ever really discussed DeMarco Murray's coaching other podcasts, you know, that cover OU football have discussed mm-hmm. it ad nauseum. Um, this was, this was a bad year for DeMarco. Next year is going to be like the last time where I kind of give him the grace of, okay, he's still a young coach. He inherited a weird situation from Jay bowl where uh, Lincoln Riley transitioned over to Brent Venables players coming, coming in and out players getting hurt. It's been a, not an ideal situation for DeMarco. Um, and that's me being generous, but with the number one running back in the country coming in, you got Gavin Sawchuk. You brought in a talented guy from UT Martin via the transfer portal. You could very well keep um, Toby Walker, you know, for all we know. And hell, I mean, what, what the Hicks kid, the Hicks kid looks fucking cool in pads. And I, yeah. I hope he gets actually some opportunities in the Alamo Bowl for all I know. I don't know if he would, but I want to see what OU has in that type of player as well. But you bring in Taylor Tatum, you bring in Xavier Robinson. Next year is kind of it for me for DeMarco. I, I need to see more consistency out of that room, given the talent that they're about to receive. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Maine and Barrie, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. Yeah, it's hard for me to really talk about the, the coaching he had to go, especially if all of these guys were banged up to the level in which they, if we are to believe they were, you know, Marcus major goes out with a you know, major injury. Uh, you know, Barnes never gets quite right. It takes Solchuk what, 10 games to get right. <laughs> so then you're leaning on a, a former walk, I guess a, not even a former walk on a walk on because they never got a scholarship to be your lead back. That's a tough hand to, to be dealt uh, from, from that perspective. So it's hard for me to look at from that. And, and really put anything in there because you got to remember when they when they benched um, or suspended Walker, they had like uh, uh, Freeman and Farouk as as your running backs. I mean that's how bad the, the you know the injury had bug had kind of hit that room. So I think last year is kind of you have to wipe your hands of it to a certain degree. Um, but I don't know. It does seem like a little bit of a black eye on there. Uh, I'm also with with you on your side. I'm really excited because I think Taylor, I mean, Tatum should be a, um, a known quantity to a certain degree. Um, is very, is a very good back, has some very good receiving, uh, capabilities. It reminds me of like shades of Mixon to a certain degree. Uh, but the guy who really makes me interesting, especially walking to the sec is Xavier is the big X. 
and figuring out how OU is going to use him, you know, the H-back type of position, you know, will OU go back a decade? You know, that was something that I really do kind of miss about those offenses was seeing, uh, you know, Millard, uh, you know, dump truck (laughs) Texas defenders as he's going down the field, you know, at (laughs) 6'3", 250 or something like that. It would be interesting to see if OU is able to use that kind of guy again with along with the tight end on the field, you know, so then you have him and Mitchell out there and you're really putting a lot of stresses on the defense of saying, okay, well, they're big, but they're also skilled. Like, what do we do here? This isn't like a big 10 offense where, oh, they're, they're trekking out five, five other offensive tackles, you know, to set the line type of a thing. It's like, well, oh, you can do that. Like, oh, you could, if they really, really, really wanted to be crazy, you know, put him and Mitchell both on the line and stuff like that. So that's something I'm very, very excited about to see the flexibility somebody like uh, Xavier gives you uh, along with the tight end coming in. Uh, and and then before his uh, ACL injury, uh, Andy Bass was uh, somebody I was very, very interested in seeing how they were going to use. But now it seems like it's going to be a year uh, before OU gets to see him. And more than likely it would have been a year anyway. Uh, but you won't even get to see him in uh, garbage time now at this point in time. Uh, I think something that is interesting is Oklahoma is able to hold on to their quarterback, uh, Michael Hawkins, uh, who maybe not the world on fire, maybe doesn't set the world on fire and a five-star overall number one recruit or something like that, but is a good QB recruit while having, you know, the three-year heir apparent ready to start this coming bowl game. That's, and then also on top of that, getting um, Brendan Zergberg uh, pretty late in the process to get two quarterbacks this, uh, this cycle. So potentially you've got your quarterback room in a much better position coming this coming year and the year after. Um, you know, you remember how Lincoln Riley used to be, where it's like one quarterback and then, oh, crap, we don't have anybody. This seems like this room is being built up a little more depth or at least just health um, from it in its entirety. Is that something, because you've, I want to kind of dive into it a little bit. You mentioned the quote unquote boringness or under underwhelming quality that this class has for you. Is it the same? Do you think it's the same thing as like when Brent was hired? It's like, this just seems like a really good football class, or this seems like a really good football hire. It just seems like what a good football team should do, but it isn't like a bunch of sizzle. Like, look at Oklahoma yeah. in the portal. Oklahoma isn't going after – now, maybe they're going to try to get McClellan uh, from Florida, you know, something like that. But for the most part, they're getting former three-star guys and former, you know, the University of Albany uh, defensive end they're looking at right now. I mean – they're not trying to get these former five-star Texas A&M players. They're getting guys who are going to supplement the roster that they already have, you know, in Norman. It just seems like it's boring foundational. You're putting one brick on top of another brick and eventually you've got, you know, the house built. Is that something that you think you're, there seems to be some sizzle missing, but you're getting a bunch of steak. Oh, I think from an overall standpoint, um, I, I, I think a lot of the eh, meh, from like from like as a reaction from me a crazy OU fan I think it comes from the fact that they're ranked eighth or ninth but then I just peruse through everybody else's recruiting class ranked ahead of OU and I'm not going to count Alabama or Georgia because they recruit on a different level and Mm -hmm. they're they're freaks at this you know they're freaks at this Uh, but basically everybody else except for Texas I wasn't really blown away by any of their recruiting classes either. 
it just seems like, okay, like Auburn has two five-star wide receivers. Ohio State has two five-star wide receivers. I don't know about you guys, but we've tried to go down that that road of yeah. like, let's sign a bunch of badass wide receivers. And I know LSU won a national title <laughs> out of nowhere when they had Joe Burrow and then all these awesome wide receivers. I know Ohio State has, I mean, they had probably, they, they should have beat Georgia, you know, what, two years ago and they probably oh, would have sure. won the national championship. Um, but the likelihood that the a receiver, a five-star receiver hits, I mean, I, I don't know what the hit rate is. Look, this is not a recruiting podcast. We are simply reacting to the fact that signing day was today and it's good for OU. Um, but you know, again, I look at Texas's recruiting class and I go, yeah, that would have been, that would have been nice. That guy would have been nice to have in our class. That would have been a fun ba- battle to have won over Texas. Um, everybody else is just like, I mean, we've done that before and it didn't yield a lot of the results that we want. And I know every situation is different every year and every player and every coaching staff and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, it's different, but I think mainly for me, it just feels like eighth or ninth, whatever rank you want to go by is not necessarily indicative of how good this class is. Now, that's not me trying to sit here and say that we have actually, Peyton, we've got a top three class and here's why. It just, it just kind of sucks that so much recruiting hype goes into certain positions or certain narratives just stick to certain teams or programs or a coach like you know, for some fucking reason, Lane Kiffin. Um, it just sucks that that happens. And then, OU does like its job and it's just like, yeah, who cares? Moving on. Uh, they're, they're not ready for the sec. Ha 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 ha. I mean, Miami has the second or they've got the third ranked class. And it's, does anybody think Mario Cristobal is going to do fuck all with that? He's, he's been awful. He's, he was awful at Oregon. I, I just, I don't get it. So from an overall standpoint, it's just like uh, that that ranking just kind of sucks. And it's not very indicative of how important this class could be for OU in terms of building the program back to where it, it wants to be and it needs to be. And then I think from a specific standpoint, I mean, a lot of the battles for these for these recruits were one months ago. You know, Jaden Jackson was a he had a he had a commitment date back in the mm-hmm. summer and he was a Texas commit. You know, he was a imminent Texas commit, I should say. And then a day or two before, it was like, oh, shit. Uh-oh. So whatever NIL money was should have been allocated to Caden Green, I guess, 10 days ago. I guess it got, like, dropped in Jaden Jackson's lap back in the summer. Because uh, that's, you know, one of, one of the r- rumors as to why, oh, you kind of jumped into those sweepstakes very quickly. You know, it's I don't know for sure. Who knows? Um, that's just for podcasters to talk about. But... Um, a lot of these battles were just kind of one weeks, months ago. And so it was just kind of like, hold on to the class. Oh, you went 10 and two and they beat Texas. They showed progress at about every position that you want. And um, like you had mentioned, they uh, are, are rebuilding the quarterback room to a point where you are not simply, we've got a really good starting quarterback and please God don't get hurt. Um, they're rebuilding position by position by position with depth and those are good things. And so, um, you know, it was just, I woke up today and not worried about anything in terms of like, is this guy not going to sign or is some tomfoolery going to happen? So maybe all that kind of put that all into like a pot, mix it up and then add some sugar. And then you have my reaction to the class, which was like, eh, oh, well. 
Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I, I think it's just if, if you're. I, I don't want to tell how OU fans how to how to react or how to feel, but this is just how a professional <laughs> runs the program. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I'm saying it's like things were done. They've already been done. You don't have to sit there and go, "Oh crap! Oh man! We we still need. We still got three question marks out there right now." I mean, that all happened last year with Peyton Bowen. <laughs> I don't want to have to do that every single year. Uh, but the class is put together and the class is done. I mean, Oklahoma got all the guys they wanted. You know, obviously, you would love to have the defensive end that's heading to uh, Mizzou. Uh, but beyond that, you pretty much got what you wanted. You flipped everybody. Yeah, you lost bricks, but you got EPL. I mean, you you won battles. And you can't win every single one of them. But this class is a very good class. It's foundational from this point in perspective. And you're getting, you're opening up doors into schools and stuff that kind of really move that way and kind of go that way and holding on to this. Like now that Brent Venables is sitting an average 24 7 rating of 277.39 points of his average rated class. Obviously, the 2022 class really weighs him down at a 266. Uh, last year he had a 289. This year is 276. But a 277 average basically puts OU anywhere from ninth to seventh in most years. And you know that you know as a as a country saying goes, that dog will hunt. <laughs> now Oklahoma needs to figure out how to be on that 289 level of last year more often if they want to continue to, to win at a very, very, very high levels. Um, but like what Brady said, you look at Miami and go, oh, wow, look at all these guys they got. Look at all the stars next to their names. But are you really confident that Miami with Mario Cristobal is going to win anything? Or are they just going to get a bunch of guys, which will then transfer out to other teams later? That'll be like <laughs> a yeah, that'll be a transfer portal class like A&M's class was two years ago. Yes, yeah. and even like, if you were to be really on top of it, their average rating for player is a, uh, let me see right here, is a 90.78. Oklahoma's is a 90.81. You know what I'm saying? So it's like per average it. player, they're right on par. They've got two five stars instead of uh, Oklahoma getting one five star. It's just the five, those two five stars really, really prop them up at, at a very, very high level. Uh, like look at Oregon's above Oklahoma. They got 24 stars. They got 25 commits, 24 stars, five three stars. It's a, that's a pretty damn good BCR, not, not, not to lie, but they don't have any, they're losing out on top end talent at that point in time. Uh, you know, Auburn, what the fuck's Auburn going to do? Now, it, it, that, that's how the SEC is. Uh, Oklahoma, again, is sitting at, again, 24 7, eighth overall, but one, two, three, four, fifth in the SEC. <laughs> That, that's, yeah. that's that's the life you know you're you're when it says keeping up with the you know um whatever that's saying keep up the joneses oh you's gonna have to keep up with the joneses every single year or at least get to the point in time to where there's diminishing returns like oklahoma sitting at where they are 28 commits one five star four eight uh four four i'm uh, sorry 18 four stars yeah having more talents better but when do things start dropping off if that makes sense. Yeah. Is it, is, it, is it just indefinite? Does it always go up? Getting more is better always? Or is there a little bit of a rounding where it's like, yeah, it's cool. Georgia got a 315, but all these guys aren't going to play. You know, like you're, you're I don't know. It's like you're recruiting your own problems. It's almost like you have, 
the idea of like you can't have too much of a good thing and i guess i'm saying there's a potential you could um but if you're getting so many guys they all can't see the field you're having spending time keeping the go and then you just have a constant churn uh and maybe you're losing out on some development because people are transferring out at levels like at georgia where i think they had like 17 transfers this past year you know maybe you're losing out on some uh, continuity uh overall from that perspective well, real quick, if anybody, if any one of you and me is plugged into recruiting chatter, it's probably you. Um, shout out Red Dirt Sports uh, Patreon. Oh, yeah, go, sure. go, go, support him as well. He's got a uh, Patreon and a big Discord community. Um, Dominic McKinley, he didn't sign today, right? That's correct. And he is planning on signing in on signing day, classic, right? In, in February. February. Yep, correct. Now. I've not heard anything from how disconnected I am from it. Um, I probably would have heard something from our little group chat if mm-hmm. there are some, you know, you know, some some hot rumors pointing um, pointing to OU. Um, I will say that I do appreciate OU Brent Venables and uh, Coach Bates getting back into that battle because, like, if we are going to compete, you've got to try. And yeah, I would rather finish seconds for a ballyhooed like defensive tackle in the state of Louisiana or Mississippi or Florida, um, than uh, not try it all and go get some three star from New Mexico. You know, no no offense to New Mexico, but yeah, that that is not how you win national championships. You have to go after the big guys in order to get the big prize. Um, I mean, is there anything pointing to OU with that, or is it just kind of like he wanted to? sign in february um the longer it lasts like i guess that could be good for ou in theory but uh you're not necessarily expecting i mean what, what are you hearing i i would not get my hopes up for um for him at all in any way shape or form i think it's admirable they're they're not giving up they had an in-home visit but he does not have an official set for oklahoma he is on a visit date set for oklahoma uh I know you're going to hate to hear it, and I hate to hear it as well. Um, I, I would probably say it's going to be Texas at this point in time. That'd be my if I was going to be a betting man. Um, everything just seems to fall their way, <laughs> always. Uh, but uh, it, Oklahoma has a chance to pull in some guys uh, via the portal. I, I don't know how much you're really going to go for here. I do think they're looking at a guy. Uh, Man, I don't want to be. I don't want to have this wrong. I believe they're looking at another defensive lineman, Evans, a Texas A&M commit. I believe. Do not quote me. I'm not entirely plugging at that, and I think that's something they're they're kind of going after at this point in time. Uh, and yeah. that may have a, a better shot, but I'm not entirely for sure. He may have actually signed, so I have no idea. Well, I'll, I'll ask you this. Um considering like what we've seen from Brent Venables, like and his staff and considering the results that we've had for just two seasons of football under Brent Venables. So you have a, a bad six and seven season. Um, you have a very promising and very good 10 and two season. You beat Texas, um, have a chance to win 11 games going into the sec for the first time. The recruiting misses like, and, and the bows that we've lost, you know, you could say, uh, David Hicks, uh, Williams, Williams, Winnery, um, who else? Um, I mean, I guess Dominic McKinley, cause there, there was a lot of hype, um, around him, maybe going to OU. Um, mm-hmm. 
right before he verbally committed. You know, like considering what Brent inherited, like I'll give you, I'll give you my opinion first and I'll ask for yours. Considering what Brent had to inherit, considering the job that he had, which is rebuild the defense while maintaining the offensive firepower at OU and preparing it for the SEC. So that's a, that's, it's a huge undertaking. And then considering how bad we were last year, and then considering how quickly um, things change for the better, um, overall offense and defense, especially in year two, when your recruiting losses are to programs that are just throwing money around, absolutely willy-nilly, when your recruiting losses are to players that are from the area of these schools, like, right next door. I think that that bodes well because already like we know this right now, OU's NIL game is it's good, but it's not where it needs to be very clearly. Like that's not me insulting mm-hmm. the thing. It's not me like being a, a pissant. Um, if it was, if it was where it was, it would need to be. Caden green would still be a sooner. So it's as simple as that. Um, but I have no doubt that OU is going to do the things necessary in order to fix it and to make sure that that doesn't things like that don't happen again, uh, because OU does not know failure. And uh, when things go wrong, OU tends to fix them. Um, so considering all that, with the losses being like the big ones being those players, I mean, at some point, I don't know how I don't know if AM and Missouri, Oregon, you know, whatever, like program Ole Miss all these programs that are just throwing money to the fucking wind at some point, not all of their donors and not all their collectives are going to want to shell out money with very little ROI. And at that same point, OU is probably getting better on defense and they're probably putting more products on the field to enhance Brent's message to these recruits and not just trying to sell them on a dream. It's like, no, 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 look what we're doing. Look, we just turned, X, Y, and Z into an NFL first, second round pick. So come over here to OU and we'll also compensate you. So I'll kind of come back to the the question that I had in my head, Peyton. I mean, it's easy to say like, yeah, I like Brent Venables' recruiting. I like the staff's, um, I guess, philosophy on recruiting. I mean, how good is it considering what Brent Venables inherited, the factors that he inherited, and the product that he put on the field year one into year two. I, I think we're looking at, well, it, it, hmm. on the whole, you're looking at Oklahoma's best modern day recruiter. Um, and, and, well, I don't know. Uh, you you kind of have to mix the. It, it, you have to have to like hedge a lot of this stuff. John Blake's probably Oklahoma's best modern day recruiter. <laughs> he just couldn't coach <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so that kind of puts a really big hinder on his ability. Uh, early Bob Stoops could bring in dudes and brought in a lot of guys and got stuff done. Then he fell off, obviously, after uh, 08. You completely just mailed it in at that point in time. But before that, bringing in top five classes routinely. You know they they owned East Texas like that. They, they got all those guys. Uh, early that, early that, Bob was just much. He was much better at turning that three star into like a sooner legend. Like yeah, he, now yeah. Also he, the development side of it. Yeah, as well. he yeah, wanted yeah. late stage Bob wanted to solely rely on that. Yes, and it worked. True. 
But when it's that when that's your entire recruiting class and you're only hitting on four or five guys that are truly good, it's like uh, that's when it starts to wear down. Yeah. And so I'm saying like there, there's a potential Brent is your best post Switzer at that point in time. Once you start mixing up on field results and stuff like that, you have to because kind of, you can't just say, oh, look at the recruiting class and that's it. You kind of yeah. have to look at it and say, well, did that class pan out? To who got drafted? What did they do? How did they win? You know, so you have to kind of mix all that stuff in there. That's why it's kind of hard to beat Riley. Uh, Riley's knock on him, obviously, is the the last two years of his uh, career here at Oklahoma, and then the first year and a half that Brent had to kind of really, really do some Herculean stuff uh, to get to a point to where Oklahoma could be where they are. If you want to have some joyness and some, uh, what's the German word? Schadenfreude. Joy. Yes. If you want to have some of that, uh, just go look at the the last three. I'm trying to bring up the tweets right now. The last three recruiting classes compared between. Yeah, USC's was like 70th and 8th, and now they're like 17th or something like that. Correct. Uh, I've got it right in front of me. Red Dirt's where I retweeted it. This is from Sooner underscore source uh, on Twitter. Oh, come on, Peyton Clinton Guthrie. Yes, there we go. Recruiting classes since Riley left Oklahoma. 2022, Oklahoma 8th, USC 70th. 2023, OU 5th, USC 8th. And 2024, OU 9th, USC 17th. Now, obviously, I believe they're pulling this from rivals because they have OU at 9th instead of 8th. But it lets you, it shows you that Oklahoma isn't in this desert, you know? And when Riley said, we walked into four playoffs and I, and I never had a better than maybe third best roster of the four teams. Well, maybe you should look in the mirror because somebody's there, <laughs> you know, in your old job <laughs> recruiting better than you did and putting a team together, which, you know, you want Oklahoma to win, but in the next, if OU can keep recruiting at this level, right, which is top 10. So you could say, well, it's only top 10, Peyton. That's not high enough. If Oklahoma can keep recruiting at this class composition, so let me change it from that perspective. If Oklahoma can, can keep recruiting at this class composition, you should be looking at a national championship within the next eight years, right? If you're pulling in multiple five-star defensive linemen yeah. a year at the University of Oklahoma, if, who isn't going to fuck around and piss, them, you know, piss down their legs when it comes to developing these guys, you should be looking at that. Alabama will, will fade at that point in time some, Oregon, I mean, that's Oregon, Georgia will fade some. It happens. It's the natural uh, ebb and wane of college football. Oklahoma has a chance to be an extreme powerhouse, much like they were from 2000 to 2005, uh, all over again, fairly soon, uh, in my personal opinion, like starting I th- 25. <laughs> I think uh, I, I was just going to say, like, going back to what I was saying earlier about, like, the, the recruiting misses that we've had under Brent, how they've been to programs that are just throwing money out, you know, caution to the wind. And they've been to like guys that, okay, they're, they're picking their hometown school to stay home and, you mm-hmm. know, cha-ching. Um, if OU hits on like their defensive line in this class and they start to really reestablish a new narrative about Oklahoma and its relationship with the defensive side of the football um, two or three years from now, whoever the Williams Winery is of that class or the Dominic McKinley is of that of that class, oh, you might win that battle straight up because it won't be just, man, I really like Brent. I really like Josh Bates and I really like the soul program and I really like the message they're sending. Um, 
and their NIL program is it's it's good. It's not it's not the best, but it's good. Um, but oh man, my dad just got a high school coaching job here, so I'm gonna go to AM. Or oh man, Missouri just wrote a law in that I can make NIL money starting August 1st or whatever of my senior year in high school. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's nice. It's really you convenient. Know, like, yeah, two or three years from now, like, oh, you won't be like scratching and clawing. Like it, it's it's a it's evolution. OU three or four years ago wasn't getting into a position to even be a top two or three school with a Williams Winery or a Dominic McKinley. Yeah. They're now there. They're starting to put some product on the field that was that would suggest that Brent's coaching and his messaging to recruits works. So now two or three years from now, if you just keep building on that in the trajectory that we want to go and David Stone is good and Nigel Smith is good and these players develop, then the Williams Winaries, Dominic Kinley's, the David Stones, oh, you will just win those battles straight up. It doesn't matter if they're if they were born a stone's throw from Oxford, um, you know, at Ole Miss um, from their stadium. It, it won't matter at that point because, oh, you will just be that good. And that that's that's the idea. Like we're. We're getting there, but we're just not there yet. And maybe we flew a little too close to the sun with some of our expectations going back into the summer. I think it's me. You and I've had had some discussions on this and I've had it with some friends as well. Like what is Oklahoma? You know, the brand of Oklahoma football, the brand of Oklahoma football, in my personal opinion, as a fan, um, is their on field excellence. And that pretty much is it, right? It doesn't have like Texas is a, you know, Texas, I hate to say it, but Texas like sparkles when you look at it. It has a majesticness to it that yeah. can, that totally, it does not matter if they're good or not at football. People want them, <laughs> people want them to be good. And yes. when people want yeah. you to be good, they, the second that you do something cool, it gets enhanced. USC, so yeah. yeah. USC is special. You know, it has a special place. But how often, because I saw somebody on Twitter, I got kind of wrapped in a, a thread about um, narratives and about how like you know USC is falling apart or whatever. And I was like, it's more like it's more like when a, a news station decides to start reporting on crime, and then they can say there's a crime wave. <laughs> Any team yeah. could look at like you, you know, college football media could look at Georgia and say what's going on at Georgia, but they're not, even though Georgia's losing 17 players, you know, but they're bringing in the number one class. So who cares? <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like, why would we report on that? But yeah, USC losing a bunch of these guys and then their class falling apart and their number one guy flipping to Oregon in the last second is bad. <laughs> but it does, But there was a guy under there, he tweeted back to me. He's like, the reason why people are pointing this out is because they're so afraid of when USC is USC, no one can beat them. And it made me think, no, USC is an eight win program historically it has been good rarely I mean maybe more obviously it's a blue blood it's a blue blood some more than that but it has had moments in time when they've been great and had I think great football players I think they're higher in Texas I think their highs have been both better and much longer than Texas had the 60s Yes, they, they had the '60s, and then they had a nice run with Mac Brown, where they mm-hmm. won one national one, 10, title, eleven games yeah. every single year. Other than that, that like, there's not yeah. that much to write home about, unless you want to start claiming like, oh, the, the '20s or the '30s or sh- you know whatever before World War II, which this is an OU podcast. We don't do that shit here. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, USC has got Pete Carroll and then some old guy who I can't remember his name. <laughs> John and McKay. They, John yeah. McKay. And they, they were good for what, five years? Like, you know, the Pete Carroll USC was like a four-year run, a five-year run? Very, like, he, he had, I think, two great back-to-back classes that built whenever people the think of run. badass yeah. USC, it was that. Yeah. And then after that, they started signing like all the the flat. They, they went for yeah. the glitz and the glamour in recruiting, and it yeah. Showed. Then they started getting their, their their then they started getting shoved into lockers by Stanford, you know. Yeah, Oregon State <laughs> yeah. would beat the shit yeah. out of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, it's 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 from that perspective when you're when you're like, man. But the story is, I was talking to uh, uh our friend now, a uh, mutual friend Trevor Rogers, who's now on uh, the podcast of Camiar. Uh, major betrayal to be honest with you uh you know <laughs> usc being good is a story texas being good is a story why because they're not good often and they're not good for long but when they are good they're usually very very good you know so it's 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 the story is when they're good what's the story for oklahoma is when they're bad because oklahoma isn't bad very often and they're not usually not bad for long so at any point in time they're bad it's a story because usually Oklahoma is at the top of their conference is winning bowl games, going to playoffs, so on and so forth. So that's just that narrative switch there. So if Oklahoma's big time in the news, it's usually because they're losing some ball games. It's not because they're winning. <laughs> that's boring. It's like Alabama. They're just winning. You know, who, who yeah. cares? <laughs> you know, but if Alabama loses six games, that's going to be on top of ESPN every single week they lose. You know, that's just how it works at these types of programs. Oh, Ryan Day, they were talking about firing Ryan Day for losing three football games. Now, all three to Michigan, obviously, it's a problem, but for just losing three football games, winning 90% of his games or something like that. And they're like, is yeah. he really the guy? Do we need to get rid of him? Oklahoma is in that time. To me, maybe we should start thinking about that when it comes to Blue Bloods. <laughs> <laughs> What is the expectation? Because <laughs> Texas, and I think Bomani was on his own podcast talking about uh, Sark uh, and saying, Texas is a place where you could just cruise at nine wins and make a lot of money because it's not that hard to do. You know, you know, you, but if you just try a little bit, you can get to 10 and 11 wins at, at, at a school like at Texas. You know, it's not as hard to get there. But you could just sit back and chill and just win just enough, you know. You know, Harmon, uh, you know, Tom got fired. I mean, he got fired for a lot of reasons, but he he didn't get fired because he wasn't winning enough. He got fired for politics and stuff. I mean, you can cruise through some of these jobs as long as you don't tank it like Charlie Strong uh, did uh, at his point in time. I, I mean, I think it'd, it'd be the same thing for OU if Brent was winning ten games. I mean, late it's, stage Bob Stoops. Yeah, it's it's a little different because if you went, if I what I was essentially going to say is, if Brent went through three or four seasons where he won ten games but he kept losing to Texas, that would wear on the fan base. Yes, because it's like, okay, we're not getting over the hump. That's not good. Um, I think that the same thing could be said for Texas. Now, that's going to be different moving forward because if Brent is winning ten games over the next three or four years in a row. Even with a loss to Texas, they're probably still in the fucking playoff. It's such a, it's going to be a weird yeah. kind of like when you're, when we are projecting seasons according to the talent that we have coming back or bringing in, it's going to be really odd to just go, um, 
Well, I mean, Texas probably they might be better. They might beat us, and we might have another loss. But that just means we'll be the sixth seed in the playoff. That's odd. Yeah, and so I don't know. It's just Oklahoma's program and its brand is being good at football. So if Brent Venables wins ten games this year, he did. If he wins eleven. If he's able to pull off nine wins first year in the SEC and all that type of stuff, all the turnover they've got, they turn that to another 10 win, you know, and it's just, it starts building itself. Like when Clemson was winning national championships, their brand was they're good at football. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, you want to have a program whose brand is you're good at football. You know, USC's brand is Snoop Dogg's, he's on the sideline. You know, Texas's brand is they got Matthew McConaughey on the sideline, giving pregame speeches every once in a while. I mean, you know, that you want your brand to be, we're good at football. And this recruiting class and our future recruiting classes, now because 2025 is, I think, has a pretty good inside shot at being a top three class because of the talent that's come out of Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, the tight end reclassifying may hurt that a little bit, but it's, I think, top five with the bullet. You're building something that will just be, wow, look at this really good football team and they're beating everybody. <laughs> and as an Oklahoma fan, I'd much rather have that than have like a Deion Sanders type of thing going on where it's look at how everyone loves my coach. It's wild. Yeah. He's on TV shows and all that type of stuff. I mean, I know you have your feelings about Bob and stuff like that, but he was just a, a football coach. That's all he wanted to be. Brent Venable seems to be the same guy. I want to be a football coach and quote unquote, raise these young men to be good men. And that yeah. seems to make him happy and make him content. Riley wanted to be a superstar. So he went to LA. You know, it's just different guys want different things. Um, but Oklahoma, at the end of the day, so far, with immediate returns, not only survived, it's thriving, and you've got guys out west saying, oh, crap, did we make a mistake? Uh, and if that's the case, uh, they, the brand stays strong. The brand stays strong and the program survives. And, I, and speaking of the guy out west, it, it's incredible that OU's quarterback recruiting even today i mean we kind of touched on um zerberg and michael hawkins um Mm -hmm. but i mean after lincoln riley it's it's (laughs) it's just weird to think that lincoln riley's gone OU's not going to ever have a quarterback again i mean that was fun for five minutes OU has always had a court even quarterbacks that some of our fans including me don't like would be top five all time no matter what at other programs you know, so, um, you know, and I think specifically with like Michael Hawkins, because, you know, the last last hyper focus um, topic on a recruit, um, the thing about him that gives me some confidence is, I mean, we've already kind of touched on it, how OU's quarterback room right now is just one good quarterback and then a freshman. So please don't get hurt because the drop off is very severe because of what happened when Lincoln left. Um Michael Hawkins is not going to be, he's not a day one guy. Um, He is probably not even a year two guy. So with that, you have the luxury potentially, if he is able to stick around and develop within the program, you have the potential of having a upperclassman be your backup quarterback and a guy who is more than capable of coming out there to run the offense and even probably capable given his, I mean, the guy is faster than shit. He is like special legendary in the open field, um, running the football. He is special. 
And if, if he's able to develop in the program for a year or two, that's a guy that can come in for a weird little package and it actually makes sense. Because as much as we love Jackson Arnold and how excited we are for him and as fast as he is, um, none of us like that bulldozer stuff, not just because we don't want him to run into a brick wall because he's not that big, but also because it's not like he's a freak athlete. He's he's very good. He is not a freak athlete. Michael Hawkins is. So OU is trying to rebuild that room while also having getting a player in Michael Hawkins that is probably going to be here for a few years, you know, hopefully doesn't get frustrated with some NIL stuff or get homesick or whatever. Um, hopefully that type of player is able to de- um, stay and develop because he could help OU down the road and we can look back at this class and go, man, David Stone hit, Nigel Smith hit, like all those guys are great, but man, Michael Hawkins was one of the more special players out of this group. And so when we talked about that drop-off, when he, when you're looking at a class up to down, if the drop-off hits when you're looking at the class, and that includes a player like him or a Daniel Akinkunmi who have these high ceilings that look like a lot of potential. I mean, to me, that's that's a good thing. If you're going to take a flyer on a kid, let it be somebody that it's like this this kid possesses something special or this kid is elite at something. Let's let's coach the football around that elite skill set and see what we got two or three years down the road. Yeah. You're much better through at the recruiters, recruiters, uh, sorry, recruits' names than I am. To, to me, it's Danny, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's just what's going to be. Uh, uh, no, you're going to attempt to, to, to come up with yeah, the Brit, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that the Brit? Yeah, it's Tom Ward. Fish and chips. Yeah, he he's not going to be pancaking people. He's going to be giving the old fish and chips uh, <laughs> when he's out yeah, there. Not even biscuits either. Those are cookies. That's no, those weird. are cookies. Yeah, if you're watching the Great British Bake Off. Honestly, we may see if we can get him on the podcast, talk about what his favorite season of Bake Off is. Uh, <laughs> I know we got a ball game. We're going to try to get wrapped up for it so we can watch and enjoy ourselves. Oklahoma takes on the North Carolina Tar Heels in basketball. You know, you know the, the orange the orange ball that Oklahoma fans uh, don't really pay attention to too much. But pay attention to it this time. Uh, we'll have some fun. Oklahoma, again, wraps up the number eight overall class. Potentially could go higher, could go lower, but sitting right now via 24-7, number eight. Uh, great, great foundational piece of defensive line and offensive line. Um, and we do have, have some, uh, yeah. We do have one question that we've missed. Was that? that? That apparently is, I mean, it was all over Twitter for about an hour earlier today. Who gets to claim Spencer Rattler? Oh, my God. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we I, sent could, that to South Carolina could, without a return address. So I'm not confused. I'm confused I, why they're even bothering this up. I don't blame South Carolina fans for trying to interject themselves into a big, you know, highlight conversation because it's South Carolina. Like when does anyone ever talk about them? Um, this is not the Jalen Hurts thing in the least because Jalen Hurts um, has a legacy at Alabama, uh, but he got drafted because of his play at Oklahoma. If if he had just gone to the NFL from Alabama, I I'm not gonna sit here and say he wouldn't be the player he is right now in the NFL. He probably would have just he could have done it, but just without have getting drafted, probably. You know, he'd have been a free agent signee. Um, so I mean, what what matters if the result is the same? I mean, I don't know, but I mean that's why that conversation existed, is because um both schools had a legitimate quote unquote claim to Jalen Hurts. 
Um, South Carolina fans, just let me put it to you this way. Troy Aikman won three fucking Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys. I don't consider him a Sooner at all. He's a UCLA Bruin. Um, Part of that is because Troy Aikman did everything he could until he got inducted into the Hall of Fame to kind of burn Barry Switzer to the ground. So you're going to burn the king to the ground. I'm not going to claim you either. And, um, you know, also fuck the Dallas Cowboys. The Dolphins are going to kick the shit out of them this week. So if you're a Cowboys fan, come send me the smoke because I want it. Miami's winning the Super Bowl. And then continue on, guys. Uh, obviously, we have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. We want to do a mailbag episode to kind of wrap out the year. So if you have any questions about anything Oklahoma-related through this past year, from any way, shape, or form, or about us in general, uh, send us the email over at keyholesports at gmail.com. We'll make a post about it. We'll also make a Patreon post about it, and I'll put it on Instagram, on our Facebook page, uh, the X page, so on and so forth. But we want to do a cool little mailbag episode if we can. So, again, please email us at keyholesports at gmail.com. And we'll put it in there. Alan, myself, Brady, and Matt will answer every question you guys. Well, maybe not every question. We will scream them, you perverts, <laughs> uh, to make sure we have some fun ones uh, to kind of answer on that. Uh, this Friday, if you're a Patreon, I am interviewing Rob Bowen about uh, the overall statistical health of Oklahoma football, as well as he is a Wildcat fan, doing another analytical preview of the Alamo Bowl and what to expect uh, from that perspective. Uh, But for myself, for Alan, for Matt, for Brady, and for all of you listeners, and for Vanessa House, go check them out. Boomer! Yeah! Yeah!